Welcome to Difference Makers, where we bring you profound and enlightening conversations with remarkable people who make a difference through innovative and inspiring charity work. On this podcast, you'll hear the incredible stories of real-life difference makers, learn about the worthy causes and charities they support, and discover how charity work changes lives for the better. What is it that that's your purpose? Why, why are you here? And what do you want to do in the world with what you've got? And how can you help others? Because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. I'm Aldis Harris, and in this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Doctor of Audiology and Starkey Hearing Foundation Global Ambassador, Deanne Rudden, who's making a difference through the gift of hearing. Well, hello, my friend. I am so excited to have you join us today. Why don't we start by you telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and what kind of work you do? I'm a doctor of audiology uh, in Longmont, Colorado. And um, I work primarily as a private practitioner audiologist, um, seeing people day to day for hearing and uh, tinnitus needs, tinnitus being ringing in your ears. Um, So I do hearing tests and I fit hearing aids and do tinnitus treatment. And that's my, I guess, my quote unquote normal life That's your job. Day, day job. That's my day job. <laughs> that's what pays the bills. That's what pays the bills. Um, yeah. So that's why, um, that's, that's who I am in a nutshell, um, in a, in the day-to-day world. But I think one of the reasons that you and I were talking about getting together today is that I'm also a global hearing ambassador for the Starkey Hearing Foundation. That's right. So, when I decided to start this project, you were one of the first people that came to my mind. And you epitomize Difference Maker. Deanne and I met several years ago. I want to say it was like three years ago. Does that sound about right? I think so. Out in Colorado, we were doing a, a program that involved um, a lot of sharing and a lot of vulnerability. And I think at one time or another, we both probably uh, cried on each other's shoulders or something akin to. And I got to know you, and I, I think the world of you, I think the world of the work you're doing. And be honest, when we talked out in Colorado and we first met each other, I don't think I fully grasped the significance of this work. And the more I learned about it and the more I researched it and um, watched the videos of the mission work, the more captivated I became, the more excited I became about your work. And it's important for me as a person who does charity work and volunteers to reach out to people like you who are really making a difference in the world. So I thank you for being here today. and I'm excited for you to share your story with our community. Thank you so much. And I, and I want to say, when we met a couple of years ago, I think if um, full in full transparency, I was the very first person to cry. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you we were, start you talking were. about stuff and like the waterworks come. And um, I always joke, like everything comes out my eyes, um, happy, sad, mad, glad. I'm, you know, I'm going to come end up in a puddle somewhere, but yeah, the work that we did a few years ago with a woman named Erin Weed over in Boulder um, was really getting to know more about our purpose. And I feel like it was a was a great catalyst for me um, in taking the experiences that I had had already and then starting to look at, okay, how can I do more? How can I get to know myself more? get to know what other people are doing in the world. And part of that was meeting you and hearing about all of the, the amazing work and um, the way that you have shown up in the world. And that inspired me to, to, you know, really investigate within myself, you know, how can I give even more than what I think I'm giving now? And um, that really is so in alignment with, Uh, the work of the Starkey Hearing Foundation. I'll give you a little bit of background on it. So as an audiologist, 
you know, I've been fitting hearing aids for years um, as a part of helping people hear better. It's the t- one of the tools that we use to treat hearing loss. And there are a number of different hearing aid manufacturers, and they have training sessions where you go and you learn about their technology and um, how to do um, the things that you need to do in the clinic. And when I would go to Starkey Hearing Technologies for training, part of their purpose was their foundation. And there would always be a part of the training where they would come out and share their work in the world. They have a domestic program called Here Now, which I had been a part of for years, which is, you know, Bill Austin, the founder of Starkey Hearing Technologies, he used to back in, you know, I'm going to say 20, 30 years plus years ago, if there was someone in your community that could not afford a hearing aid, all you had to do on the order form was write here now, and they would send it to you for free. And so his mission was that he really didn't care, you know, who, who the people were, if they needed help, he was going to make sure that these people got help. And as a local hearing provider, you know, we would agree and we still agree to give away our services for a year to make sure that that person is taken care of. And that's just here in my own backyard. So were you, I guess your giving was partially inspired by Bill. Is oh that, my gosh. Is that correct? Yeah, of course. Cause you see this man who, you know, this is his business is, you know, building and creating hearing aid technologies. Um, but what I was so inspired by was that, you know, he recognized even early on that the more you give, the more you get. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's really easy to be in your own little business bubble and just think, Hey, I'm doing all these really great things. And, you know, but then you start to look a little bit broader and it's like, okay, gosh, you know, there's so much more that I can do. And when I, when I do that, it actually creates more abundance for me personally, professionally, I mean, and and I think that's the same philosophy that Bill Austin has. He has a saying that is used widely within the foundation. um, And he always says, alone, we can't do much. Together, we can change the world. I love it. And I mean, that's truly what I think inspires me to just continue to to try to give more. So I didn't realize this. He, He developed some technology? For the hearing aids? Yeah. Oh my gosh. His story is, is kind of incredible. So he was originally, he wanted to be a, a doctor. Um, and mm-hmm. he had this kind of like Albert Schweitzer, I want to, you know, travel and, and help people um, in developing countries. That's what he, you know, tells his story about. And what he realized um, is that he had kind of gotten involved doing hearing aid repairs. Um, he, he lives in Minneapolis, uh, with his wife, Tanny Mm -hmm. and, um, Tanny is a great mentor and, um, I'll tell you more about her in a little bit, but Bill just realized his calling for helping people was really not through medicine, but through the ability to help people hear, you know, he started giving away hearing aids because it just came natural to him, you know, both in his own community, but then, you know, they started doing mission work outside the country and three, four decades later, what they've created is not only the hearing, Starkey hearing technologies side. So his business, Starkey hearing technologies is the only privately held hearing aid manufacturer in the world. That's left. Wow. I didn't realize that. There are only six major manufacturers of hearing aids left in the world. Um, But through that, it is still family owned. So 
he and his wife run the foundation now, mm-hmm. and his stepson, Brandon Sawalich, is now the president of Starkey Hearing Technologies. So it's very much a family business. Yeah, I recently... Um I'm, I'm captivated by social entrepreneurship and B Corps and opportunities where you can have a business that is obviously a for-profit company that can earn money, but then with this component of giving back and doing good and helping your community. And so I've read all of these great like examples of people who are doing that today. However, I think he sounds like he was the grandfather of this movement because he's, the, he's yeah. been doing it for years. For years. And, you know, just doing his thing. I mean, it wasn't anything that he sought attention over, which was, again, the thing that just completely inspires me. Um, You know, he's giving away hearing aids and doing his missions and doing what came naturally to him. And and I want to say that, uh, you know, around the year 2000, part of their work became attached to the Clinton Global Initiative. Okay. Um, and so as a part of the Clinton Global Initiative, Bill Clinton, and I, I just love this story too, especially when you actually hear Bill Clinton tell the story, he tells the story of he and Bill getting together and saying to Bill, well, you know, gosh, you're doing really great work in the world. Um, how are you going to give more? <laughs> and Bill was like, well, Bill Austin was like, well, you know, I'm traveling the world. I'm giving away. I've probably given away a hundred thousand hearing aids in the last ten years. And Clinton again just kept challenging him, like, "How are you going to give more? How are you going to give more?" And he agreed that he was going to give away a million hearing aids in the decade. That's like a hundred thousand a year. A hundred thousand a year for the next ten years. And so, on that path. I want to say if it hasn't been accomplished, we are very, very close. I actually, uh, I, full disclosure on my end, I saw that video yesterday as I was watching Starkey Hearing Foundation videos, one after the other for several hours, and I saw a really great one um, with um, Bill Clinton, and I, I, uh, I kind of think there were several with him and his daughter, and then to appease our people on the other side of the aisle, there was a great one with uh, George W. Bush, the former exactly. president. And both of them have worked together, which I think is another way that, you know, hearing is, you know, it, it crosses all genres. It crosses all political persuasions, um, socioeconomic impacts. You know, everyone in the world understands how it is to be able to hear someone that they love, regardless of what your political persuasions are. And I love the way that these two, especially Bill Clinton and George W. Bush, have actually worked together for the cause of helping people hear better. What a great example. It's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. It's a wonderful example. And when I was watching these videos, I was... um, I mean, you know, taken by, as you said, across different political spectrums, but really just different genres. And uh, there were people, entertainers, there were musicians, athletes. Um, There were so many uh, people in, you know, pop culture that we look up to, uh, for better or worse, that were going on these mission trips and that you could see in their eyes and the way they were speaking in the videos, they were having a life-changing experience. Yeah. I mean, recently, funny you should bring that up because um, every year they have a, a fundraising uh, gala and they invite people to come in. And it's one of their biggest fundraising efforts of the year. And this year, um, Alice Cooper was there and he had been a part of a mission in Rio de Janeiro when they, he and his band um, and his other band, the Hollywood Vampires, um, that's Johnny Depp and Joe Perry and, and those guys were getting ready to perform at Rock in Rio. And this is a, like a stadium thing where they have like a hundred thousand people in a stadium coming to hear them sing. And Alice Cooper talked about like for him, the mission that they did with the Starkey Hearing Foundation was more important to him than singing in front of a hundred thousand people. Like he could have, he he said, not that I couldn't have cared less, but mm-hmm. he was like, this changed him. And he re, you know, it being able to 
help someone hear for him, especially as a musician and knowing how important hearing is to him personally. I mean, he, the way that he was able to talk about that and articulate his personal experience around witnessing this work and being a part of it. And it's, and that's the thing, the global impact that they have is their community based modeling. They teach the people in their own communities and the people that they bring. It's not that we're just flying in like, you know, the, the hope of, of all the, the little people it's, we're here to help you change things going forward for yourselves and empower you as a community to take care of, of each other, which I think is even more powerful. It is because in my own experience, and that's kind of where I, the crossroads I came to at some point was, okay, I can keep doing these things and I love doing them and they're so rewarding, but wouldn't it be amazing if I could share what I'm doing with others so that it inspires them to get involved. And I think that's really important to not only for something to have sustainability over the long term, we need to bring other people into the community. We need to get other people involved. We need to get other people excited about it. And we need to empower others so that they can do the work. So I think it's, it's so important. And so kind of this brings me to the, the thing that I want to fully understand is I watched the videos and I read about the Starkey Hearing Foundation and these amazing mission trips. How does this really, like, practically speaking, how does this work? Where is the money coming from? Who are these all volunteers? Is it part volunteers, part paid staff? I know you're an audiologist, so you're bringing expertise um, I know the Clinton Foundation was involved in some funding, but from a practical standpoint, how do the nuts and bolts here really all fit together? I'm not sure I have all of that information personally because I am a volunteer. I don't get paid to go. They they like audiologists to come because we bring, as you said, some expertise to the table. But the beautiful thing I think about their model is that it is something that's simple it's sustainable and it's scalable. So it's something simple, meaning that it doesn't take someone with a doctoral degree to perform. When we go in um, to do trainings with local community leaders and um, community members, we're training them in a method that they can recreate. They don't need to have expensive equipment in order to do the the identification of people. The identification portion doesn't take a lot of expensive equipment. They have the um, WFA, community-based hearing healthcare model, where they are able to use techniques that don't require expensive equipment. Then once those people are identified, then they are able to be fit with hearing devices through donations that have been made to the foundation. So sometimes, like in my own private practice, I collect hearing aids that I then send to the Starkey Hearing Foundation to be refurbished or reused in some way. There may be devices that are donated from people you know, all over the world or all over the country, for sure. They can reuse those? Of course. Of course. That's part of the beauty of having their business be hearing aids because they have skilled technicians that can then take these devices apart and use the components. That's amazing because, you know, one of the videos I was watching, they had a table covered with hearing aids, just covered. Yes. It looked, there must've been a th uh, over a thousand sitting on the table. And I, and I thought, are these like, how expensive is this equipment? The, the references that were made in the videos and the literature that I read m led me to believe that this is a very inexpensive apparatus. And it's only as a result of, obviously it takes a lot of effort and man hours and resources to get to these developing countries and to fit the hearing aid and to supply the hearing aid, but the actual apparatus is not expensive. 
Agreed. Agreed. I think, you know, this is such a, a global need. I mean, they, the statistics are from the World Health Organization that there are 360 million people worldwide with hearing loss. And, you know, in many of those countries, they're just not being serviced because they, they just don't have the ability to um, have people in, the, in their communities. Like, for instance, in Zambia, they have one audiologist for the entire country. What, one? One. I, I know oh. him. And so I have, he's, he's a single audiologist who, um, you know, if you add up the number of hours it would take for him to just purely test people, I mean, it would be like a lifetime, just even trying to identify the people within his own country. So it's unrealistic to believe that, you know, only audiologists can do this. And, and that's why they developed this community-based hearing healthcare model. And um, they're now, the Starkey Hearing Foundation has actually established a school in Africa called the Starkey Hearing Institute, where they're training people to become hearing healthcare providers in their own country. That's awesome. So important. Yeah. So they're, they're not only seeing the need to help people with hearing loss, but then to provide a sustainable way for those people to continue to get help and care. So I, I think one of the reasons that I'm so um, passionate about the work that they do in comparison to, to other hearing foundations. And I'm not going to take anything away from, from other hearing foundations that are out there, but these are ongoing overlapping care phases that go on at any given time on any given day. There's identification there's the actual fitting of the devices, which is what you see a lot in the videos. But I think even more important than that, there's a phase three, which is called aftercare. So you don't just leave people with these, you know, electronic devices and say, well, good luck. Hope it goes okay. You know, you're following up with them and continuing to follow up with them and have resources for them. And not just from people like myself that fly in for very short-term missions, but people that are there in their own communities. All right. So two things I want to pull out right now, otherwise I'll forget. <laughs> um, the aftercare is such an important piece to this that a lot of, I mean, a lot of nonprofits and people who do charity work, they just don't have the resources to provide the aftercare. And oftentimes we do incredible work in the community, but if we're not following up, um, a lot of times things revert back to old habits or old problems or you, for you guys in this particular case, I would imagine the equipment, the equipment itself might need to be maintained or serviced or just right. checked. So that, that piece alone is so important for what you're doing. The other thing that um, I wanted to touch on is there's so much amazing work out there and uh, through through my work with Difference Makers, I'm learning about just incredible organizations and campaigns and incredible people doing difference-making work. But a lot of it is hard to measure results. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so much of it is you have to take a leap of faith and you got to keep pressing on for months, sometimes years, decades before results are obtained. But with what you guys are doing, the results are immediate. And it's so compelling to uh, watch one of these videos. And I mean, obviously, it would be even more compelling to go on a mission trip and see a child here for the first time. But I, I, I need you to share this with, with us, because you have experienced this firsthand time and time again. And the way you've described it to me in our personal conversations, it, it literally brought me to tears. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll take a step back if it's okay with you sure. and to share how I even got involved. So as I said, anytime I'd go to training, I would see these videos and I would be like, oh my gosh, that would be amazing. I, someday, I just want to go on one mission. That's all, you know, 
you know, you just sit there in your heart, as you said, you watch the videos and you're like, I want to do that. <laughs> um, and especially as an audiologist and, you know, sometimes it doesn't feel like those opportunities will ever happen. And a few years ago, the foundation, Stark Hearing Foundation, they started filming a lot of what was going on because, you know, if you don't share with people the work that you're doing, then it's hard to make it sustainable because you need people, you, you know, you can't do it all yourself. As you know, as Bill said, alone, we can't do much together. We can change the world. So we have to continue to bring people in. And so they started to film a project that they called operation change. And really what it was, was to, not only go in and and show the work that they were doing, but like if they went into a community, I think one of the videos, um, if they go into a community and they needed a well dug because they didn't have clean water, then Bill found a way to dig a well for these people. And so they started to film these things, right? Because that's what he did. And it got picked up by the Oprah Network. And so it was a show that was broadcast on the Oprah Network. And during this time, they had um, a contest, you know, those like sweepstakes contests, sure. blah, blah, yeah. blah. And so I religiously watched Operation Change when it came on, when it was being filmed live and started participating through their website and, you know, answering questions and, you know, submitting my sweepstakes um, <laughs> applications and my a friend of mine was also doing this at the same time. We were um, kind of doing it together because we were so passionate. And she won oh, the really? trip to India. <laughs> How cool. And it was, you know, you can yourself and one other. And we joked that like, well, if I win, I'll bring you. And if you win, you'll bring me. And when she won, she says, okay, I got to ask my husband if he wants to go. Hold on just five minutes. And she comes back and she says, Okay, he doesn't want to go. You're in. What? And so, I didn't yeah. know this. I, it's true. This is the story that you were saving for me, right? It was true. I though. love this. So I'm like, oh my gosh. And she came down. She's like, we have to fill out our paperwork right now. I've got to get it in. It's got to go in today. We cannot miss this opportunity. And so we ended up going to Bangalore, India. Um, and that was my first mission trip. Amazing. I, I like did not know this. How did I not know this? I don't know. I don't know. But it was kind of a crazy thing. So Tanny Austin, who, um, as I said, has become such a mentor and, and, you know, someone that I look up to, you know, an inspiration to me in so many ways. She found out that my friend and I were audiologists. And so we were supposed to do one day of mission as a part of winning the sweepstakes. And she found out we were audiologists. And so she invited us to stay two additional days at her personal expense because she thought we would be, you know, we would have a much deeper experience as audiologists if we had more time. Mm -hmm. And um, so when we went, I mean, it it is a funny thing. A mission trip is a funny thing because it is a up at dawn, setting up getting all those tables of hearing aids ready that they're all different power levels is how the model works. So that gets laid out. Everything gets set up. We get prepared for the day. We have community volunteers and Tanny was training us like on the community based model. She's kind of showing us how to do this. And, um, you know, it's outside the box because, you know, I'm used to sitting behind a piece of equipment and testing someone's hearing. And that's just not how this works. Mm-hmm. You know, this is uh, not, out, not out in the field, right? Not out in the field. I mean, you could be miles from power and how are you going to help these people? So, you know, the other thing that I, I think about as well is Bill and Tanny were the first ones there in the morning. You know, these are people that don't, you know, they could show up for a couple of photo ops and be out the door. And that's just not how they are. That's not who they are. Yeah. So Bill and Tanny are the first ones there in the morning. And I had heard these stories like that they were, and that they were the last ones there at night. And I watched it firsthand every morning, every night, it was the same thing. And, you know, Bill and Tanny make sure every single person that shows up is helped. 
They don't, they don't care if it's 11 o'clock at night. They don't care if someone comes um, in, in one of the missions. There was a woman that was dying and she was brought to them in an ambulance. And Danny didn't care. She went out, she got into the ambulance with that woman and made sure that she could hear her family members in the last days of her life. Oh, that's an so, amazing. That's amazing. I mean, for me, these people are the real deal. And the work they do is real. Let me switch topics here. Because we we met in Boulder and it was a um it was a public speaking program, if you will. Uh, I don't know if that's exactly uh, the way you would identify it, but that's generally speaking what it was. And you have, in the course of the time that we've known each other, truly found your voice. It's How did been that, a long time coming. Yeah. <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> and oh. I'm so proud of you. And so, like, as your friend and your supporter, oh. your ally. But how, how? tell me the journey. I mean, truly, it. I came to that program that I met you at um, after a really horrible public speaking um, experience. <laughs> um, We've all had I, those, by the way. <laughs> I mean, and it, and I joke about it that I was, you know, I was a total hot mess in that experience. That of all things, I was speaking on confidence, which is crazy because I had like none at the time. And I tell, tell the story of, you know, being up there feeling like I was having this fight flight or freeze mechanism and knowing that I just had to push through it. And a a friend of mine started asking me questions from the back of the room. And I think she did that in an effort to pull me out of whatever mental twisted wreckage I had going on. But at the time I really thought she was heckling me. (laughs) I, I did. I just, I was having one of those moments. And then I got all up in my head and my story became like, she's heckling me and she's, she hates me and she's trying to sabotage me. And clearly that was not the case. Right. And, you know, upon reflection, looking in the rearview mirror, it was like, all right, my emotional self, as I'm standing in front of people, I need to have better handle on that. I need to get much clearer about how, how to be able to have not only have a voice, but to be able to use that voice in a more effective way um, instead of having a meltdown every time I stood in front of people. So my friend actually had been to Evoso Live on a whim. I mean, there's a lot of very weird destiny things that I feel like have fallen into place to bring me to where I am right now. She went to as the an very aside, <laughs> as an aside, I agree wholeheartedly because I feel the same way. And just so our community knows, Erin Weed, who has become a friend to both you and I, she's an amazing woman. She's the one who was running the program where Deanne and I met, and she is the one who runs the Avoso Live public speaking program. Yeah. She, I mean, I feel like she was a life and a game changer for me. Um, she came along at just the right time. And as I said, my friend, who was one of my dearest friends, had been to the first Devoso Live on a whim. She was like, eh, I was looking for something to do, saw this thing, thought I'd stay for a couple of speakers and I would leave. And she was there for the whole thing. And was just, she called me from the car and said, there's this woman, Erin Weed, and you have to meet her. I think, I think you need to meet her and it really has changed my life and my ability to stand in front of people and share what I didn't even realize was my truth. I think that was part of the experience you and I had together was just being able to, to have somebody help you see, you know, what is it that that's your purpose? Why, why are you here? And what do you want to do in the world with what you've got? And how can you help others? Because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. By the way, Aaron Weed's program was not a public speaking program. I'm not doing it any justice describing it that way. (laughs) (laughs) What was it? It was 
empowerment, therapy, friendship, community. There were so many elements to our experience with Aaron and Ivoso that I, you can't really describe what Aaron does. I think she, what does she call herself? A, um, she calls a midwife? herself a speech midwife. And it's true that like, I thought I was going into this program where she was going to say, okay, here's all the boxes you need to check, you know, how to stand on stage, check how to like tuck your emotions in check, you know, how to deliver this amazing, eloquent speech check. And it wasn't like that at all. And it, at first it was very frustrating because I'm like, I really just want to check the boxes. <laughs> you and me Can both. You just tell me how to check the boxes. And, you know, my husband called it speaker therapy. So it's funny that you bring that up because I was, you know, I, I would get so mad at her. Um, I would go in to meet with her around um, the talk that I was preparing for. And she would always say to me, well, do you have a story around that? <laughs> and I would, and I would be like, no, I don't have a story around that. And she would say, well, you need to think about a story around whatever it was that I was trying to, to talk about. And I have begun to really understand the value of storytelling as a way to offer people a way to tap into what, what is very close to a direct experience that we have um, this vehicle of storytelling is how we've always related to each other much better than somebody standing there and saying, oh, and then you do this, and then you do this, and then you do that. That storytelling is really what brings us all together. And so I wanted to be able to tell the stories, um, not only of my own life, but of the work that the Starkey Hearing Foundation was doing. And I remember one somebody from the foundation asking me like, so what, what, where do you really see yourself as a part of this? And I said, I want to be the chief evangelist. And I didn't even realize what that might entail. I mean, and I'm not, I'm certainly not there yet, but I want to tell the stories. I want to be a part of telling the stories of what they do and what they bring. I have a grin from ear to ear right now. I love it. I love it. And it's funny because I remember when we met, I mean, I'm, I got to be honest with you. I was like, this woman, like, she can't stop crying. She's a hot she, mess. She's so emotional. <laughs> I mean, I knew I loved you because I, I found it so endearing and your empathy, uh, you know, is, is such a huge part of who, who you are. And I'm drawn to empathetic people, loving, kind people. But I was thinking, how would she ever get on stage and keep it together? And the evolution I have seen has been amazing. But the funny thing is, it's not an evolution that you improved or changed in a way that isn't honoring who you were when you walked into Aaron Weed's program. No, right. you've you are still that same exact person. You have you you have learned how to use your God-given abilities and these amazing qualities you have to help other people. And I think that's the cool thing um, that I realized is, you know, we all have gifts. We all have things that we can give back in some capacity. And maybe that doesn't mean standing on stage and talking about whatever it is that you're passionate about, but every one of us has the ability to discover those things within ourselves and then learn that we can confidently move into whatever it is that, you know, makes us passionate about living. I say in each of us is the power to make a difference. And that is something I wholeheartedly believe. You and I have found our way of making a difference based on our skills, our talents, our knowledge, our personalities. And everyone has that ability. I really, truly believe that. So, you know, I'm not an audiologist. You don't have the same background or experiences that I have, but we've both found a way to give back. And there's so many ways to give back and so many different ways to help people. And I think it's really, it's incumbent upon us to find the thing that we can do based on 
the talent, skills, and knowledge that we have. Yeah. And it's helped me. I mean, not just going through Aaron's program, but, you know, another opportunity for personal growth development, just all the way around. Giving back is that, I don't even remember if it was, I think, you know, Gandhi had a version of it, but it's like, you're finding yourself through the service of others. And I think a lot of people have the desire to do that and they just don't know how to get started. And it, and it almost feels selfish in some ways to do work for other people because I, I feel like I ultimately have become and continue to, to gain so much from the involvement that it, it does feel selfish. It, it, you know, I know when I go into it now, when I think about going on a mission, it's like, yeah, I'm going to help all these people, but man, you know, it's, it's going to make me a better person. And it has. Okay. So you are a very, very good storyteller. So let's not let our community think because of your, that one public speaking experience <laughs> that, that you shared that Deanne is not a, a dynamic speaker. You are a, an incredible speaker. In fact, um, prepping for this podcast, I rewatched your Evoso Live and your use of the, what is that thing called? A harpsichord? It's I a harmonium. Harmonium. And your talk about, intri- is it entrainment? Entrainments. Can yeah. you just maybe give like a little nugget of that to our community? Because <laughs> it it was like it was, the way you told explained it was like so eloquent and the the story behind it. But it was also kind of like I'm sitting there scratching my head, going, "Is this real?" And then you have that little joke. You're like, and you can Google it. You can Google it. Um, entrainment is is something. It's almost like alignment that when things are energetically aligned, they flow easily. Um, And that sounds very esoteric, but if you look, there's examples of finding that alignment um, and where that vibrational energy is, is happening at the same uh, frequency, even examples in the animal kingdom. So like in my talk, I talk about that when you see, you know, National Geographic and watch fish swimming together out in the ocean, they don't run into each other. And, you know, ants never run into each other, that they have become so sensitive with the vibrational patterns of their, you know, their brethren, that they are able to sense one another and move in harmony with one another. And that human beings have really lost their capacity to do so. That we um, we're so, I guess, somewhat by nature self-absorbed, and because we're so worried about ourselves and 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 taking care of you know our individual needs, that we we run into each other. Uh, I think that's that's kind of the shortest way to, to really explain it. But part of the work that, you know, you do out in the world with giving back, I think helps to restore some of that, that you are less myopic. You are better able to become, you know, a part of the global community and, and move and work within it in a way that benefits everybody instead of, you know, just yourself. So true. So true. All right. I'm not going to let you off the hook here. You have to tell a story for me and the community. And the story is when you first experienced and witnessed someone hearing for the first time. Okay. Well, now I might cry because that that brings up um, a lot of emotion for me. And as I said, like it never gets old. There, you know, I, I definitely have a memory of a girl in India from that very first mission trip. And the way that the model works is that you start with the lowest power level 
of device. That's why they're all laid out on the table kind of in order. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you start with the lowest power uh, of device and you're beginning to increase the volume and you're looking for behavioral responses um, because you don't have the luxury of equipment to tell you something objectively. So you're you're looking for an acknowledgement of some kind. And there was a little girl in particular that I was working with. And, you know, I have to be, I have to be honest, you know, I'm an audiologist. I was kind of cocky about it. Oh, I got this. I know exactly what I'm doing. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm listening to, to the model being different, but, you know, surely as an audiologist, I know what I'm doing. Right. And, you know, I've been here before. So I'm following the model you know, I'm doing the thing and I'm, you know, raising the volume. I'm putting in different sounds like buh, 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 and, you know, these sounds called the ling sounds, which are sounds that encompass, you know, all of the English language. So it's like, ah, e, ooh, you know, those kind of sounds. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking for an acknowledgement of that in this person's, you know, body response or eye response. And this little girl has given me nothing. And I'm, and I'm just going up and up in power level and as I'm going up and up, I start doubting myself. I, oh my God, like, I don't, maybe I don't know what I'm doing because I'm missing it. You know, she's just looking at me blankly or, you know, with some kind of weird anticipation because she was, you know, a child. She, you know, there's a question mark as to whether she really even knew what was really going on. And so I'm raising the volume, raising the volume, going up in power level. And, you know, I start to panic, like I'm going to, I'm messing this up. I'm just messing this up. And I, I called Tanny over and she came over and she was very calm and she was just like, well, okay, let's see what you're, you know, tell me what's happened. Tell me what you've done. And I'm walking her through it. And she, she's very calmly, you know, gets gets the next power level and she's going up and up. And, you know, we finally get to this moment where you start to see the spark. And I, and I, and I say it very genuinely that it, it, it is on the face and in the eyes of that person that you're looking at, that when they acknowledge the presence of sound for the first time, someone's crying. Oh, I'm trying to hold it together. I don't want to be a hot mess, but it is, I mean, you can't miss it. They, they light up and you see in that moment, it's like the possibilities of a lifetime exist in a single moment. And I had it with that girl. She finally had that moment and, you know, her, you turn around and, you know, her mom is standing there. Her mom starts crying. I start crying. The little girl is literally talking in, you know, she starts to vocalize. She doesn't even know she can turn her own voice on. And, you know, you show her, you know, you start to, what I, you know, we're taught to do is, you know, to place a hand underneath her chin by her throat and, and help them to feel their own voice turn on. And then you just, you know, sometimes they, they cry, sometimes they laugh and, and shout and dance. And (laughs) it is the entire human experience and, uh, it never gets old. I love it. It's the video you shared. I can't remember um, if you emailed me or whatever, but it was some time ago and I watched it. Now, I don't know if it was that particular experience or another one, but it it brought tears to my eyes. Watching the child's reaction, watching your reaction to the child's reaction. Oh my God. And the one that I that I used uh, in the Avoso talk wasn't, wasn't even the one from India because at that point, it, you know, in India, I didn't even really know what to expect. So I wasn't prepared to be like, um, you know, having the forethought to, to actually document anything. Um, luckily the Starkey Hearing Foundation does a, a very good job of documenting some of this, because I think if you, 
if there are stories happening and you're doing really great work, but you're not telling anybody, then um, it gets lost. There's so much negativity and, you know, things going on in the world that we have to talk about it. We have to share it because, you know, there's so much more good in the world than we see on the daily news. You've been doing this work for a long time now. It's your day job as well. But, you know, there's obviously the volunteer portion. Is there a greatest moment or a greatest reward or is it more of the body of work? You know, for me, it's like an ongoing story. I've definitely had times that I can look back on and specific people, you know, one in particular, you know, I have a heart for India. That was my first mission. So um, I always feel like life goes, always goes back to India where, you know, you see the ongoing story of, of an individual. And then you can also look at the global impact that you as an individual have, have been able to have in your own community or throughout the world. And, you know, that's, that's deep stuff. So for me, my hope is that it's the body of work, that it continues to be a story that doesn't end and that I'm not finished with what I'm doing. So I, I don't think there's one moment in time. I think it's been a series of I could call them serendipitous moments that have brought me to this day. And I just, you know, every day I just, I guess I pray that it continues. (laughs) Did I answer that question? You did. Actually, I'm sitting here going, (laughs) wow, Deanna and I could do a whole podcast on serendipity. Because I think for me ending up at Evoso and so many things that have happened in my life. For us meeting, I think a lot of it is, um, it's not coincidence. Let's just it's put not. it that way. It's not. I, I truly do believe that, um, you know, we are one global family. Uh, and it's just, maybe I just haven't met you yet. Well, this is Difference Makers. And you, Deanne, are a true difference maker. Thank you so much for the inspiring work you do. And thank you for sharing your story with our listeners. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful to be a part of this project that you have going on and um, to be invited to, to chat with you today. On behalf of Difference Makers Global Community, I want to thank you for listening. And if you'd like to learn more about today's guest, visit differencemakers.org. There you'll find a dedicated page for each of our Difference Makers and a link to their charity's website where you can learn more about their inspiring work and support the mission. And for our readers out there, I have two books that I wrote that I'd love for you to check out. Crossing America for a Cure and Running the Coast for a Cure. These books chronicle charity adventures I did in honor of my niece, Jenna, who was born with a rare neurological disorder called Sturge-Weber syndrome. Both books can be purchased on amazon.com and all profits from book sales are donated to Sturge Weber Research. Thanks again for listening. And remember, in each of us is the power to make a difference.